Well, good morning. Is everybody awake? Good morning. I can't even... It's good to see everybody this morning. We are continuing our journey through the first 15 chapters of Exodus this morning. And the Israelites, they've cried out to God asking him to deliver them from years of slavery. And God has heard their cry and called Moses to help set them free. Now last week, Daniel walked us through the first nine verses of chapter 4. And he talked about the three signs that God gave Moses to display to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people to prove to them that God means business when it comes to the deliverance of the Hebrew people. Now this morning, we're continuing in chapter 4, looking at verses 10 through 17. And in these eight verses, I want us to consider three things. First, God chooses broken people to lead and deliver his people. Secondly, God brings necessary partners to help us along the way. And then thirdly, God will teach us what to say. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for the crisp air. We're grateful for the sunshine that warms us. We're grateful most of all for your Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Lord, we ask that you take away the distractions around us and that you would teach us from your holy word. <clears throat> and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open those where you can look in your bulletin. And the first thing that I want us to consider this morning as we look at these eight verses is that God chooses broken people to lead and deliver his people. Now, when I was in seminary, I remember one of my Old Testament professors telling us that often evangelicals, we, we, we try to sanitize the Bible. We tend to talk about all the great qualities of the heroes of the faith. We skip over the, the more sultry and sordid details of stories. But the truth is, for such a holy book, the Bible contains some of very raw and unpleasant stories. Now, our passage this morning is a great example of this as we see Moses' humanity on full display. This morning, after fleeing to Midian, I believe it's safe for us to say that over those 40 years, Moses did mature in his faith, and he matured as a man. But what we see in our text this morning is that Moses, like all of us, is still very much a work in progress. After God had appeared to Moses in Horeb on the mountain of God and shared with Moses his name Yahweh and reminded Moses of the covenant he had established with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and told him how his heart was distraught over the suffering of the Hebrew people and promised to deliver them from slavery and then chose Moses to be the leader to set the Israelites free, you would think after God did all of those things, that Moses would have simply trusted him and obeyed anything that God had asked him to do. But the truth is, 
Moses really struggled to believe and obey God. He was reluctant to answer God's call. And as you look at verse 10, we see the depth of his resistance. In verse 10, it says, But Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. Now I have to confess to you, I've read this, these, this verse many times, and I've always really kind of felt sorry for, for Moses, and I saw it really as an expression of humility. That he was saying, you know, I'm not a great speaker, Lord. And he was humble. But as I studied this passage this week, I've concluded that his statement is actually more of a demonstration of his arrogance and his stubborn heart before God. Moses says in verse 10, but Lord. Now the Hebrew word for Lord here that Moses uses is not the tetragrammaton, Yahweh, the name that God had just shared with Moses, but instead it's the Hebrew word Adonai, which means sovereign master Lord. Moses, with his lips, he acknowledges that God is the sovereign one who is master over all things and who can do all things. He says with his mouth that God is Lord and master, but then as we read on, we see his arrogance on full display as he makes his own inabilities the determinative factor, not God's omnipotence. Moses calls him master and Lord, the sovereign one who is all powerful. But then he makes his own perceived inability to speak the determinative factor, dismissing God's power to overcome his lack of speaking ability. And while, again, it would be much nicer to feel sympathy for Moses and to interpret his statement as humility, we can tell by God's response to him that God didn't see this as humility at all. Look at verse 11 and 12. God rebukes Moses. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go. I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. God says to Moses, son, I created you. Do you think your speaking ability is a problem for me? I am the one who gave you a tongue and a voice box and the air in your lungs so that you can speak. I know everything about you. I am God. I am master. I am majestic. So stop being so proudful and self-deprecating and making your limitations the ultimate factor. You and your limitations are not the determinative factor. I am the determinative factor and I have called you to go. And at this point, you would think that Moses would, would repent and agree to trust and obey God. But the heart of man, this side of heaven, is still sinful and broken. And Moses cries to the Lord again. Look at verse 13. Moses says, but he said, oh, my Lord, please, please send someone else. 
And again, I think we can agree based on what God says next, that at this point, God has lost his patience with Moses. Look at verses 14 through 17. Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him and take in your hand the staff with which you shall do signs. God's anger burned at Moses over his arrogance, over his unwillingness to trust and obey him. But what I love about this passage is that God could have said to Moses at this point, you're too arrogant, you're too prideful, you're too selfish, you're too disobedient, so I'm giving up on you. And I'm going to send Aaron instead of you. But God is a gracious God. He doesn't give up Moses, even though he is sinful, wounded, and broken. God says to Moses, you are still going. I have chosen you to help set my people go. And I am not going to give up on you. In our passage this morning, as we see Moses' humanity in full display, we also see God's grace and the principle that God chooses broken people to lead and rescue his people. And so what does that mean for us this morning? It means many things, but I just want to share two. First, it means that your past nor your presence disqualifies you from serving God and helping to bring about the flourishment of his kingdom. Moses was deeply flawed, and at times he was arrogant, selfish, and he struggled to obey. Yet what we see in our passage this morning is that God didn't abdicate his call, but instead, as we will discuss in a moment, he stepped in and he offered to help. Likewise, there are many of us here this morning who think that because of things that we've done in the past, or maybe even struggles that we have right now in the present, disqualifies us from serving and building God's kingdom. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.28, God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are. Paul, who himself was no stranger to sin and brokenness, not just before his conversion, but throughout his ministry, he understood God's grace and forgiveness. And he understood that God shines brightest through broken people. His strength is perfected in and through our weaknesses. And so if you're here this morning and you're sitting on the sidelines because you think something you've done in the past disqualifies you, or if you think that something that you're struggling with right now disqualifies you, this passage this morning is telling us that God can use any of us who profess faith in him to build his kingdom. And so the first thing that it means for us is that none of us are disqualified based on what we've done or what we're doing to help build God's kingdom. Secondly, it means that when we are choosing leaders, 
or volunteers to serve alongside of us. Do not always look first for the most talented, the most polished, the greatest communicators, the most gifted people. But instead, look for those who are broken and possibly a little rough around the edges. I love the story of God sending Samuel to anoint King David. In 1 Samuel 16, the author writes, When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, And had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen any of these. And so he asked Jesse, Are there more sons? And then Jesse thinks, Yeah, there's the youngest, David. He was a little prideful, a little obnoxious. He's out in the fields. He's not even here. I didn't even think he would be considered to be king. And Samuel says, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And you know the story. When David arrives, God says to Samuel, this is the king. And Samuel anoints him as king over Israel. So when we're inviting others to join us in the task of building God's kingdom, let's have God's eyes to see the beauty in the midst of the people's scars. Let's see and have God's heart to call the lowly things of this world to shame the wise. So the first thing that we learn in our passage this morning is that God chooses broken people to lead and rescue his people. Secondly, we see that God will bring necessary partners to help us along the way. As we read earlier, God tells Moses that he's not going to leave him alone when speaking to Pharaoh. God is calling Aaron, his brother, to partner with him. Look at verse 16. God says, Aaron shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Now, let me pause here for a moment, because some have suggested that God's call for Aaron to partner with Moses was God's backup plan, or God's second best, since he had originally only had called Moses. And while I understand, while many might suggest this, we know from Malachi 3.6 that this can't be the case. Aaron is not a backup plan. He's not God's second best. For in Malachi 3.6, the Lord declares, I do not change. God is immutable. He's unchanging. His decretive will is unchanging. So while it's true that his divine mercy takes note of our weaknesses and makes provision for them, like in the case of providing Aaron to Moses, The calling of Aaron was and is God's first and best intention. One commentator says, Aaron is not a miraculous divine intervention, but a provision long since prepared with the necessary gifts 
and now emerging from the shadows by divine prompting. Just as God brings Aaron to partner with Moses, God will bring necessary partners to help us as we seek to build God's kingdom. We see this with David and Jonathan. We see this as the disciples are sent out, not individually, but in pairs. And as I was thinking about this this week, I couldn't help but think of God's provision of a partner that helped me 11 years ago to plant Hope Chapel. When God called me to plant Hope Chapel, he knew my strengths and he knew my weaknesses. He knew my sin patterns. He knew my wounds. He knew my shortfalls. Many of you know my wounds. Many of you know my shortfalls. And just as he provided Aaron to come alongside of Moses, I am so grateful that God called Michael to come alongside of me. It's no secret that Michael and I, we are very different people. I'm a one on the Enneagram. I am always striving to do things better. I'm critical. I'm always, always, always saying things that offend people. I know, as a one. Because I want things to be the best. Michael is a nine. He's a peacemaker who rarely, if ever, offends anyone. He's kind, he's considerate, and he's one of the most gifted musicians and worship leaders that I know. And I'm so thankful for him and his willingness over these 11 years to help soften my edges, to run interference for me many times, and to speak on my behalf. God sent not just me to help build this church and plant this church, he provided an incredible partner in Michael. And I'd be remiss if I didn't also mention Jim Osborne. One of my greatest hesitations of planning Hope Chapel was I knew I was not a great preacher. I knew I wasn't a great communicator. And I thought, I don't know if I can do this. And so early on, before I planted, I went to Jim Osborne. And I said, you are a gifted teacher. You're a gifted preacher. Will you commit to preaching once a month so that you can give me some space to learn and grow? to go to Toastmasters, to to help better communicate. And Jim prayed and then agreed to leave our other church and then to come. And during those early years, he preached every month to help me so that I might be a better communicator. And so I'm so grateful for Michael. I'm so grateful for Jim. And I'm so grateful for the 25 people who agreed to plant the church. And I'm so grateful for every one of you who is sitting here this morning. Because every one of you are partners with me in helping to build God's kingdom. Every one of you is significant. With your flaws, with your sin patterns, with your past, with your present, with your lack of faith, with your great faith with your gifts and your talents. Every one of you is needed to help build God's kingdom. In this passage this morning, God teaches us that he uses broken people to build his kingdom. Secondly, he teaches us that he's going to provide necessary partners to help us along the way. And thirdly and lastly, In our passage this morning, God teaches us that he will teach us what to say. In verse 15, God reiterates once again to Moses what he told him in verse 12. And that is, I will be with your mouth 
and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. I was talking with someone this week and and he was sharing that he shies away from people when they get emotional because he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. And I kind of smiled and said, "I, I think you're not alone. I think many of us feel that way. And as I was thinking and talking with him, I couldn't help but think about this passage. Whether we're in a situation with someone who is grieving or we're in a conversation with a neighbor who is asking tough questions about God and faith or we're talking with people about issues of racial reconciliation or other social justice issues, the truth is for most of us, we don't know what to say or do. But I find great comfort from God's word to Moses this morning. That no matter what the situation we find ourselves in, God is with us. And God will be our mouthpieces. He will teach us what to say. Jesus says in John 14 that he's going to go away. And when he goes away, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he's going to come and he's going to inhabit all of us who profess faith in him. And what is the Holy Spirit going to do? He is going to illuminate this word. He's going to write it on our hearts. And he is going to enable us to answer questions, to dialogue with others, to meet others, to speak on his behalf. So we can go out this morning confident in him who dwells in us. And my hope is that we won't shy away from those hard conversations or run away from those uncomfortable situations, but instead that we'll step toward them For when we do, we will find that our Savior is with us. Every time before I step up into this pulpit, I pray. Even though someone else might have prayed for me, I pray and I ask the Holy Spirit to come. Because I know the promise of His Word that it will not go out and come back void. And I know it's the Holy Spirit that's going to transform your hearts Just like the Holy Spirit transforms my heart. It's the Holy Spirit that's going to move and speak through his word. And my hope is that you too will know that God and the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that he will give you words to say to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to your classmates. So don't shy away from them. Move toward them. Engage them. Ask them what they think about God. Ask them about their faith. Love them and care for them. God tells Moses in this passage that we are all human. We are all flawed. And yet God uses broken reeds like you and me to bring about the flourishing of his kingdom. Our passage this morning also reminds us that God will provide necessary partners to help you and I along the way. And lastly, he encourages us. He gives us confidence by saying that he will be our mouse and teach us what to say and do as we seek to be salt and light in our dark world. Knowing these things, I hope we will all go from this place boldly, boldly proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Not so that we will be lifted up, Not so that Hope Chapel will be lifted up, but so that the name of God will be lifted up and magnified in Greensboro and throughout the world. Amen.